So tonight and also on Saturday, I would like to explore with you today more as a kind of lecture and on Saturday then in, in terms of practice, um, how to work with what is called in the Tibetan tradition Shampa. So I wrote that word down, Shampa. And uh, initially it might be good not to translate it because if we use the word which is which uh, with which it is sometimes translated, then we have an idea and what it is. Like, ah, yeah, I know this. Mm -hmm. But actually Shempa is a very uh, profound discovery and there's many dimensions to it. So Shempa is sometimes translated as attachment. And then you can notice like attachment, yeah, I know what is what is meant with attachment, but this is not this is much more this is much more than you know like being attached to chocolate or something <laughs> like that. It has nothing to do with that. One way to describe what we're doing on the Buddhist path is that the Buddhist path is about dissolving unnecessary inattention dissolving unnecessary inattention so that we can recognize and connect with our creativity, with our joy, with our generosity, with our capacity to love. So in the Buddhist path, we, we, we assume that those qualities, that they are in you, that they are part of the package, that they are here now. But somehow, we manage to disconnect from this again and again. So how do we do that? And how can we um, get out of it? That's what we explore when we explore the teachings of Champa. So we are going to explore and recognize our reactivity, how buttons are pushed, how we collapse into, into a, a way of reacting, disconnected from our values, disconnected from what we actually want to share, what we actually want to give. So the teachings on Shempa, they explain how we create unnecessary inattention all the time, what in the Tibet, in the teachings, in the Pali language is called klesha. So how we create these, it's like clouds which disconnect us from our goodness. So in the Buddhist uh, tradition, you find a very good explanation how we do that and why and how it's happening. Why are, why are we not always acting from the goodness in us, from that which is important to us, from that which, which we really want to give to our children, for example? I mean, we don't want to be assholes with our children, but we are. We can't help ourselves. And then after we regret it, and we think, oh, I'm like my mother. 
So, and, and where? And this teaching is very interesting for us because we live in relationships and all kinds of relationships. But it's particular the relationships we have with the, with the people we live with. They push, push our buttons. All the shit comes up in an intimate relationship and with all your children. You can't help yourself. And they know. You know your partner knows and your son knows. They, they know how to trigger that. And then... That's Champa. So, dissolving unnecessary inattention. Noticing when it's happening. And then learning this amazing Tibetan toolbox. There's many, many different tools, many different methods to dissolve unnecessary inattention. So that uh, the disconnection with your potential to be a good person, to be a kind person, that that dissolves. And then it is there. If you become relaxed and flexible and easygoing, then it's there. Then, then you are generous. Then you are in tune with the needs of the other person. Then you know, kind of, you have a sense of what, what, can, what can be done here. What, what is it? What's the most, most beneficial to do in this moment? What's the most beneficial to say in this moment? This wisdom is in you. We just need to create the space for it, recognize it. So tonight, um, uh, after a little meditation, I will, uh, you know, using s teachings from Pema Shudran and his her teacher, Tsiga Kongtul Rinpoche, to kind of flesh out what is meant with Shempa, and then maybe to start with uh, a kind of model, kind of step, one of the many step-by-step -step approaches to, um, to work with it. But first we need to really, and that's the first step, the recognizing, first we really need to become curious and we need to start <coughs> to understand the development of Shempa and we need to get we need to get familiar with it. We need to be able to notice it within ourselves and then within others. Because if you, if you recognize Shempa in yourself, you also start to recognize it in others. And that's very helpful. Because you see that Shempa, like within you, is a kind of cloud. It's not the real thing. There's like the person which has a Shempa attack it's not in its best state. So maybe you wait a <coughs> bit or somehow you try to reach out behind, yeah? Behind to the real person, which is behind this cloud of reactivity and hurt and childhood, childhood trauma and conditioning. Yeah? So that's amazing if, if one can do that. 
to look behind the facade of fear and contraction and maybe even cruelty because we, we become violent and cruel not because we are bad people but because of shampa, because of clasher, because of those contractions. So if we want to stop to add to the violence in this world then it's an important work. So let's um, take a few minutes to just take, create some space and um, to shift, to really arrive. So if you like, you can close your eyes. Or if you sit with open eyes, you <coughs> just relax your gaze. And then just notice what happens when you start to pay attention to your inner life to how you feel to what is happening for you so see if you can bring the inner gaze into your belly and into your chest And try to make it a welcoming gesture, try to make it a kind meeting, a meeting with yourself. And the breath can support you in that, so see if with the next in-breath you can slide with your attention into your body, into your posture. And you check in. So this is not an exercise in calming down or feeling better, but it is an invitation to just notice and be. So you shift from the doing to the being. And see, maybe you can even let go of some un some of the unnecessary tension you carry with the out breath. Softening the belly, softening the shoulders, softening the feet. softening the hands and softening the face. Maybe you need, uh, maybe you, you feel some discomfort, maybe you brought something with you into this moment. And what we explore here is, if you let that be okay. If you say, yes, yes, this is how it is just now. This is how I feel just now, and it's okay.
And then when you notice that you get carried away by the inner dialogue, by the commentary, allow yourself to drop back and then you rest. You rest with what is. So drop back into your belly, into your hands. And you rest with what is. returning. Stay, stay here with what is. Letting go of control and letting go of the need to fix. See if you can let go of some of the unnecessary tension. And letting go here means mainly <laughs> letting be, letting things be as they are, relaxing what is. And then even if there's still quite some movement within your body and your mind, I invite you to also appreciate that there's stillness, that there's a kind of peace, a simple peace which arises when we sit quietly together, protected by the teachings of the Buddha, protected by the presence of the Dalai Lama and the Karmapa. This is so precious if you uh, find uh, tools for yourself or trying out different things within the Buddhist teachings, which within the <coughs> psychotherapeutical teachings, within the teachings on body work, uh, how to dissolve unnecessary inattention. 
because it's not the world out there. It's not the work. It's not the other people. It's not how life is. It's about the tension inside. And, and, and that's good news because th that's something you, you can work with. You, you will never be able to fix the people, all the people around you, that they, con that they behave in a way so that they don't pu push the buttons. It's something inside. So one sign of a, of a Buddhist practitioner is to take responsibility for your tension. You know, kind of you stop to blame others. It's your fault that I feel like this. And, and uh, like a master, you know, the masters I've met in this tradition, they are able to dissolve inattention, you know, uh, in, a, in an amazing way, so that they stay even relaxed when they die. They are not even freaking out when they're dying. And we are freaking out when our iPhone falls down. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where we start. We start with when our iPhone falls down. When we lose our job. When we go through a divorce. When we are sick. That's where we work. And then we will be also be able to be flexible in, in the death process. So we have plenty of opportunities. Right? And uh, one of the, the first step is the recognizing. Huh? So we start with becoming familiar and where you become aware of Shempa, of that inattention, most likely is within the body. So working with Shempa is a kind of body work. It's not cognitive. There's a cognitive aspect to it, but it's more uh, working with the inattention which expresses itself in the body. And that's a bit scary for people, for us, because we live in this disembodied culture where it's about, you know, thoughts and cognitive therapy is the only probably in Sweden which is paid by the insurances. <laughs> yeah? Is that right? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. Soon not even that. Soon, uh, soon not even that. Yeah. So soon there's only medication for Swedish people <laughs> <laughs> to dissolve inattention. Yeah? <laughs> medication to the self inattention. So the, the, the to uh, uh, to see meditation as a kind of subtle body work uh, that's very important. Mm. Yeah, so I want to bring up some kind of to flesh out the word champa and 
we are not going to really catch the whole thing like okay now I know what Shempa is because it's too uh, no it's it's too complex it's too uh, uh, it's too subtle so you know being patient and it's it's like a journey of understanding what is actually meant by attachment in the Buddhist teachings uh, by Shempa so that's why we use the word Shempa because then we get we get a sense of oh I don't know what it is and that's exactly <laughs> what how it is we don't know what it is but we can start to explore it and we can start to recognize some of the f uh, dimensions of Shempa so uh, of course these teachings you find um, everywhere in the Buddhist teachings so but um, uh, it was uh, the teacher of Pema Shodron, Sika Kongtru Rinpoche, who, who uh, had a kind of, a who started to teach it in a certain way. And I, I'm, I'm going to use the approach of him and uh, Pema Shodron. So I, I took some quotes from teachings. And if you want to explore this yourself, then you just Google Shempa, and then you will come to some of the teachings of Pema Shodron and Sika Kongtru Rinpoche. Uh, around this. So, I want to start with a quote by um, Tsiga Kongtru Rinpoche. We will have a break around 8 and then after the break we have time for discussions, but you can also un interrupt me, yeah? so if there's something you would like to ask. <coughs> so, Siga Kongtru Rinpoche says, in English, Shempa is generally traded, translated as attachment. Oh, I said that. But some words, such as Shempa, convey many dimensions which cannot be covered by a single term. So that's now we are, what, what we are going to try is um, uh, to, to get a sense tonight in our experience, particularly then on Saturday, in our experience, what is meant by Shempa? And he writes, Shempa is a pervasive discomfort. It's a pervasive discomfort. So we will, uh, we will uh, flesh that out a bit, what is meant with that. It's like a pervasive restlessness, a pervasive uneasiness, like kind of, it's not good enough. Something is missing. Something is wrong. So, like this, unnecessary tension because something is wrong, or something is good, unnecessary tension. Yeah, like this. It's like this or like this. And now he goes into the deepest level of Shampa. Yeah, so he starts with the deepest level. So the pervasive discomfort, it is the underlying sense of I, me, and mine. I, me, and mine. Yeah, mine is really, you know, mine, which is based on I. Of course, it, I mean, if there's, if you, 
if you are able to say mine, there needs to be an I, which, you know, there needs to be a sense of I. I, and this is mine. Like, take the example of the iPhone. So the iPhone is there in the window, and you look at it, and then, you know, the, the person uh, uh, selling it takes it out, and it falls down in the glass splinters. I mean, you give a shit. Because it's not mine. But as soon as is, you, you attach that word, like this little word, it's just four, four, four letters. It's just M-I-N-I, yeah? Mine. It changes it completely. Completely. So then you have unnecessary inattention because it's mine. And mine is based on I. And that I, that's something we, we, we are going to start to work on a more a superficial level with Shemba. But, uh, so since he starts on the deepest level, let's go there for a moment. So I is a thought. It's a mental process of referring to an imaginary I. Make, to make up an I with a conceptual mind. I. Yeah? And with that I, there's a sense of separation. A sense of, oh, there's something to protect here. So, it's, uh, so, the, the most profound, <coughs> the most profound mistake you dissolve in the in, on the Buddhist path is the I thought. You're not dissolving the ego or the self or something like this. You're dissolving uh, an unnecessary concept, an idea. It's not that you disappear or something like that. W what you dissolve is the idea that you exist as a separate uh, solid, lonely little thing inside here, which is scared. If you start to understand this, and I mean, most of you have listened to teachings like this, if you start to understand this and you start to uh, really try to seek the imaginary I, like you know, that what you believe in, that what you identified with, then you start to see and experience that freedom is actually possible. That enlightenment is possible, liberation, awakening is possible. So that's the deepest level of Shempa. So all unnecessary tension are based on the I-thought on that mental process of what you could call selfing, the creation of the idea that there is an independent solid me, an independent solid self. So if you discover that, if that uh, imaginary I dissolves, that does not mean that there is no self. There is a self. There is actually a very healthy self. There is actually an amazing self, a, a self which wants to love and which wants to enjoy life and the self which has 
a lot of uh, creativity. Um, that self exists. It's called Buddha. <laughs> yeah, Buddha. You know what the word Buddha? What that means is, it has two aspects. This word. One is, a Buddha has dissolved all unnecessary tension. That's the first aspect. All unnecessary tension is dissolved. And the second aspect is, through that, all qualities become manifest. That's what the word Buddha means. The dissolving of the unnecessary tension, and with that, the manifestation and the flowering of your potential, of your creativity. In that way, one could say you're already Buddha, but there is this, this disturbance. It's like covered up. It, the Buddha there, is, which is sitting on the chair, is kind of covered up. But the good news is that that covering up is based on a conceptual mistake. That's all. It's it's hardly anything. <laughs> it, it, it's yeah. It's 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 like it's like a dream. It's it's completely made up. It's like a hallucination. So that's what a Buddha is. So that's the deepest level of Shampa. And then, based on that. There's all the wants, needs, aversion, hopes, and fears that come come out of that. So initially, what we uh, what we do, we work with that level. So we work with the wants, needs, aversions, hopes, and fears that come out of that I thought, uh, but what we're going to work with this model, we work on that level, on the more superficial level, so that that there's enough space that we can actually go into the root and we can heal and dissolve the most subtle level of unnecessary inattention. The most subtle level of unnecessary attention, which is the I thought. So, there is two, I mean, no, now I'm going to talk about two aspects of Shempa, which you start to identify in the first step, in the recognizing. The first is, to become familiar, to recognize when you are hooked, when you are, when a button is pushed, when you contract, when you become smaller in uh, inside. Yeah. When you become stressed would be another word. 
that's that's the the first part to become really curious about this and then say ah i see you shampo this is very difficult because you need to be honest you need you need to be uh, you need to have a lot of courage because you know we love to blame others in the circumstances for our inattention and to have this honesty uh, with yourself it's very very difficult You you know when particular like when you know so sometimes your children they are very good at pointing that out to you hmm? when when you are not in, in your best <laughs> and then you notice how there's like this time where you refuse to confess refuse to admit yeah you are right now I was three years old no. The five-year son, five years old son, yeah, and you are you just regressed even younger than five years. <laughs> and so, what is very important in the recognition of Shempa is friendliness and kindness. It's very important, love. So it's not that you recognize the three-year-old three years old girl in you and then you beat yourself up. She had enough of that. What she needs is love and recognition. It's very important. So it's not like Shemba bomb. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's like, oh yeah. Yeah I am again. Yeah. I can and it helps also if you recognize that you are, that a lot of the shampa comes through your conditioning, through your wounds, through family and history. And from the Buddhist point of view, not only this life, but past lives. <coughs> so you, you, you can't help yourself because you have had experiences and you have had conditioning. And what we want to do is in the dissolving of shampa, we want to dissolve Shempa through love, not through through judgment, which is a Shempa in itself. But still, uh, you are going to find excuses, and you you might need a whole day. Like in the morning, then you might say to your wife, "You know what." I, I was really, I was horrible yesterday. I, I really messed it up. And you were completely right. It's very difficult for men to, uh, to, uh, uh, to, to apologize. It takes a lot of guts. So honesty in the recognizing is that honesty and that courage, that curiosity, 
So that's one part. So one part of Shempa is this contraction. So someone criticizes you, for example. So even if this person is right, sometimes they are not right, but even if this person is right, we, we contract. We become defensive. So that's one part. So you become aware of this uneasiness within the body, also within the thoughts. Yeah? But let's focus a bit on the body, on the energetic, on the somatic aspect of Shampa. So the second part of Shempa is your habitual response, how you bolt out of the discomfort which is there when you experience Shempa. So that's the second part of Shempa. For example, someone criticizes you, you contract, and then you start to try to hurt the other person because you are not able to contain your feelings. So you want another person to feel your feelings. And so that is urges or like habits how we avoid the pain of shampoo. And that could be going to the fridge, uh, you know, uh, taking out your phone and, and looking at something. Uh, that could be uh, drinking, smoking, uh, that could be going shopping, that could be yelling, complaining, blaming, uh, pointing, uh, that could be, um, I mean, anything we do uh, to not be with what is happening in the present moment. And so we all have our favorites. Like, no, and it's not that we want to bolt out or escape like intense discomfort. It's little things are enough. I mean, our inability to stay with discomfort is amazing, and in our culture, it's get, it gets worse and worse. Because there's always some something to swallow or something to switch on, or yeah. so we have a lot of invitation, and we're actually supposed to do this because it makes us going shopping and being this nice, you know, consumer people who buy all the stuff, and you know, and uh, yeah, of course the pharmaceutical industry, uh, they they make millions, milliards of. Uh, money with us because uh, we have this idea that we are not supposed to feel discomfort. So these are two things: yeah? the the contraction, the discomfort, and then your conditioning, your habits, your urge to escape. So that's the recognition. Now again, as a reminder, uh, we have a bit of time, as a reminder, the recognition, I, I think I, I, I make that an addition, yeah? Recognizing with 
love. Yeah, very important. It will be that kindness then which will make it possible for you to be more courageous. Yeah? To be more like daring in taking responsibility for for your reactivity. If you if you come with a uh, with a judgment then then you know then it's guilt and shame and and, and all this and un, 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 other shampas and no guilt and shame is just another you know another unnecessary tension not helpful at all as you know like if you feel guilty then oh, i feel so guilty so i feel so guilty i feel so bad so i need to escape more and more so this is important No, the, the practice of self-compassion like Christine Neff, Tara Brach it's so important to bring this into into the recognition of Shampa like you know, Christine Neff this is a difficult moment for me this is a difficult moment for me and suffering is a part of life <coughs> and so this kind of kind gestures of recognizing that uh, you're not alone with this, of course. So in Pema Children's children's words around this uh, aspect of the uh, all-pervasive discomfort, she says, Shempa thrives on the underlying insecurity of living in a world that is always changing. We experience this insecurity as a background of slight unease or restlessness. So a slight unease, a restlessness. That makes meditation also so difficult initially. And, And if there's tension in us, in our life, I mean if there's inattention, unnecessary inattention, through things happening in our life, it's quite uh, it it happens quite often that then we drop our meditation practice. Although also we should meditate more, of course, <coughs> but but we meditate less because it becomes so difficult to be with that unnecessary inattention. <coughs> uh, and then there is maybe this idea: I need to feel good in my meditation. It's about feeling good, it's about feeling peaceful. And of course, if you have a lot of unnecessary inattention, then your meditation is not going to be peaceful. And then you might give up, or you think, oh, if meditation is not working, it's, uh, it's not working for me. We all want some kind of relief from that unease. Yeah? 
And it's understandable, of course. I mean, in a way, it's crazy what I'm trying to convince you. No, I'm trying to convince you to turn to that where everything in us says, run! Everything in us and in our culture and our family says, run! And now the Buddha says, sit. <laughs> Stop running. Sit. And then if you sit, oh, then it's there. Then, then, it's, then it's good if you sit in a group because then you're like a bit shy to get up. <laughs> so you sit a bit longer. <laughs> so if, if you would sit alone in the morning, you, al you already would be on Facebook. Yeah? But, but, here, uh, but here you, you sit and sit and sit. And, uh, yeah. So you all have to do retreat. If you want to do Shampa work, you need to do retreat. <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's it's hard. <laughs> we should be paid for it. Instead of paying. We should be paid for it. The insurance is in yeah, but they are not interested in really mental health. But the insurances, if they would be interested in mental health, they should pay, pe pay people to do a retreat. <coughs> so, we all want to, we all want some kind of relief from that unease. So we turn to what we enjoy. So that's the second part. We turn to what we enjoy. Food, alcohol, drugs, sex, work, or shopping. So, one common misunderstanding about this work, and that's also when we work, uh, when, we, uh, when we use the word attachment, uh, that it is a problem to enjoy things. And there is like certain levels of one's practice where sometimes we learn, yeah, it's good to keep a respectful distance from the thing which is triggering you. Either very difficult people, like your parents, you know, where you need to have some respectful distance for a while, or some kind of dysfunctional family. So then it might be good to have a, respect, a respectful distance. Of course, you're not going to be, I mean, you have to look at it at one point. Yeah? But sometimes it's the most kind thing to have respectful distance. Also from things you are addicted to, then it's good to have a kind of respectful distance from, you know, from, that, uh, from that substance. Or, um, so the problem is not enjoying things. Actually, when you reduce shampa, when you 
reduce unnecessary inattention, you are going to be able to enjoy things more deeply. Because you, you are more present. And there's not the, the contraction of grasping or fear that you're going to lose it or trying to squeeze more out of it. So it's not only that uh, this work will give us more space to be more flexible with challenges, it also creates space to be more, more relaxed and more able to enjoy the good things in, in our life. And uh, particularly this, this, this approach is very strong in the tantric approach within Tibetan Buddhism, where we learn to be uh, so we learn to be in more and more intense joy, in more and more intense bliss, in more and more intense enjoyment, but completely without tension, really relaxed. You know, either tension, for example, oh, I don't deserve this, I'm afraid, maybe, you know, this is who am I to really enjoy this moment or really enjoy this person or now, 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 tomorrow he will be gone and uh, so it's so difficult for us to really enjoy a moment. So uh, working with Shem power, working with attachment it means that we are, we are, we will be able to enjoy the things more, the chocolate and the cake and going to a party and dancing and sex. Yeah. So this is very important. If we get this idea that it is about becoming uh, um, like, uh, you know, sometimes that happens in Buddhist practitioner, we get this kind of fear it can happen that you cultivate cultivate a kind of fear of good things. <gasps> yeah, I can't I can't eat this cake. I can't eat cakes anymore because it's attachment. Yeah? <laughs> and attachment is dangerous. But it's not the cake. It's shampoo which creates the problem. And on the tantric path, you eat the cake. And you work with, I mean, not if you have an eating disorder. Then keep a dis respectful distance for some time. Yeah. Yeah. But the idea is to learn to be easygoing and relaxed also with the good things. Very important, because you are going to get teachings in the Buddhist, uh, in the Buddhist teachings which say, attachment, bad. Anger, bad. But it's not the anger which is the problem. It's not the attachment is the problem. It's the shampa which is the problem. Okay. Okay, I think that's uh, about the record for the recognizing. 
a recognizing shampa. So recognizing shampa means to recognize with love, <coughs> with kindness, when your button is pushed. And so you you get you get to know this. And on, on this on this level of the practice, that's all you do. I mean you're not doing anything else. You just become familiar with how it feels. So you get to know it, and then you also get to know your conditioning, your habits, your urge, the ways you try to escape that discomfort. That could be your blaming, for example, attacking, but it could be also collapsing. It could be consuming. It could be, you know, blaming yourself and others. So there's many ways how we, mm. how we escape that uneasiness. Okay. So let's have a break. And then uh, there's some space for questions. So when, when we start this work, which means uh, the whole life, we're starting this work, we will fail a lot. You will fail a lot. So I don't want to make an impression that I can practice what I'm teaching. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm, I'm this kind of teacher who is... Uh, who is learning what he's teaching. Yeah. But uh, I have met people who, who are really uh, free. I know it's possible, but uh, for us it's important to, um, to include the failing as part of our journey because it makes us humble, it makes us recognizing how difficult it is, even if we understand and even if you have some tools. So it might help us to be less judgmental towards other people, because we notice, wow, it's like, wow, my conditioning swept me away. It's a bit easier when you sit somewhere as a monk in the meditation hall. <laughs> but then, then if you enter family life, if you re if you enter the Bodhi tree of the family <coughs> life, wow. So kind, that's very important. And, uh, and then after many years of working with this, and then you might notice that a Shempa attack might not be, might not last as long as it used to be. Like before, 
three days of Shambhal. Okay. <laughs> yeah? Holding a grudge. Wow beating yourself up or being stressed out around money, like shampoo attack, full on, 24 hours, even in, your, in the night. Three days, four days, a whole week. Now, shampoo attack, and every day you can find some space. Every day you, you can return to the underlying uh, peacefulness. That's a lot. And that's definitely possible. And then, of course, there will be periods again where you will be brought to the limit of your uh, Shampa work. So then there's crisis, then there's an old an old trauma might arise and come to the foreground from your life. And then you might feel, ah, oh, all this work, and now again, I thought it's gone, but here it is. Uh, but then that's just another opportunity to ge- go even deeper in the healing. And life is amazing because it's, it's going to bring up this stuff. I mean, that's what karma is. Well, karma is kind of stuck shampa, stuck things which we have not touched, which we have not healed. So it returns in, into our life. And when it returns, then we can see it also as an opportunity to dissolve, to heal. Be it a person, you know, be it a recurring thing coming up in your life. So life is it's almost like it feels like there's a master plan, a, a, a master plan, you know, like uh, stirring up shampa in us so that we can dissolve it. Why, if we don't practice, we make it worse. So are there any uh, questions? Uh, uh, with like some some thoughts you have had around what I said uh, about the recognition of Shampa, do you, do you start to get a sense of uh, what is being meant uh, when we say the word Shampa? Are there any questions? Could you say that the uh, attachment is one of the facets of the shampoo? <coughs> Could you describe it? Yeah, but what what is meant by attachment? What do you mean when you use the word attachment? That uh, I cling cling to something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. You would use attachment uh, in the in the case of uh, the tension which arises when there's something good. 
it's a way to use that word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, you could also uh, talk about attachment. You could also use the word attachment when there's something difficult happening because then that moment you are maybe attached to a comfort and that makes you rejecting that which you don't like. Mm. So one could use attachment actually in both in both areas, the aversion and the the grasping. So you could call both attachment. Mm. But it's right. Usually attachment is being used in, 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 when there's tension around good things. Uh, but uh, the word shempa also includes, as I said in the beginning, the most subtle level there, like the basic ground inattention which is coming from I, me, and mine. So that maybe you could call it attachment to the I. And then there's also that level of uh, habits and conditioning we use to escape that discomfort of the inattention, which is the addiction. So, yeah, maybe one can describe it, describe it in like three on these three levels. The most subtle level is the attachment to the I. And then the level above is the attachment around things we like and we don't like. And then the, the uh, third level is the way and the conditioning we have to escape those uh, discomfort, that, that uneasiness. Maybe that could be uh, like one way to describe what is meant with the word champa. Yeah. So, the the four R's, and, and I uh, I added two two more. So, Stefan penned the six R's. Pema Shudran's four R's. You say R, right? R, yeah. And Stefan penned the six R's. Um, so the second is the refraining at the um, it's usually what is used in the traditional teaching here is called renunciation and Pema uh, Shurton is using the Tibetan term here also find it just now but um, so the I, I don't remember the Tibetan term but um, what the Tibetan term means I think it's Shantok 
I think it's Shantar, what is translated as a renunciation. And what that word means is, so it has this Shen from, from Shampa, Shantok. So what it means is to shake up Shampa, like to, uh, to, to, uh, to, to shake it up, to, to do something with it. Yeah? So renunciation is not, again, is not rena renouncing chocolate. It's not renouncing joy. It's not renouncing the good things in our life. So uh, renunciation means uh, to shake up, uh, to, to, to shake up uh, Shampa. Shampa is the problem, not the joy. Shampa is the problem, not beauty. Uh, so that is, this is very important. Otherwise, you know. Otherwise, you make your life quite difficult. We <laughs> should enjoy things more. It's how we relate to enjoyment. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so refraining is uh, to stay with the discomfort and not following the urge. So you refrain from that urge to stuff that piece of cake into your mouth, not because you enjoy it, but because you use it as an escape for some inner emptiness, some discomfort, some, you know. So you, you refrain from that urge, that impulse you have to yell back you refrain from that urge to complain, 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 complain. You refrain from that urge to talk bad about another person. You refrain from that urge to have an affair. You refrain from that urge to yeah, we know, I mean, we know because uh, the things we do, then they are, at one point, kind of, they make us feel bad. If you stuff down a piece of cake because, you know, you actually have some, some feeling which needs some love and some attention, you, you are going to feel bad once you have eaten that piece of cake. It's like... Oh, does not feel good. You know, it's something in your nose. So, and th that's the refraining. And again, the most important thing is that the refraining happens with kindness. Otherwise, it's like a straitjacket you put yourself into. And it needs to go on. It's not just the refraining, because then, then there needs to be the relaxing after. So it's not like... Yeah, so you need to go further there. 
So uh, in, in the first step, you have, for example, um, you have, for example, identified uh, one way I escape the discomfort in a situation is to become defensive. Yeah, your partner says something and you become dis defensive. So you notice that. And you know, when you become defensive, the situation goes like this. So you, you, you start to notice it and you cultivate uh, the intention, I'm going to do something about this. It's not, it's not working. If I fall into the habit of defensiveness and starting to blame my partner, it just goes downhill. I, I want to do something about this. So, and, and that's then the moment where the refraining starts. Where in that moment where that impulse of defensiveness, which you need to know, of course, you need, you need to know how it feels, you need to maybe have recognized it as a pattern in your life. You see, wow, I have done this also already in my first relationship. It's so familiar. So you, you, you start to notice it. You start to feel, you, you, you get to know how it tastes. What, the, what is the taste of your defensiveness? And then you do the difficult thing. Very difficult. You stay. You don't do it. You stay with this. <laughs> it wasn't me. Yeah. It's not fair. Yeah, you stay with that. That's the refrain. Or so you like you are at home. You're alone, you feel lonely, you feel sad. What do you do? You drink a bottle of wine and eat two packages of chips. <laughs> yeah? And you feel bad after. Uh, so, what do you do? You are, you're alone, you're sad at home. You notice, oh, now. Here it's coming. I'm just about to go to the fridge. Yeah. So, and you know it. You, 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 you have done it countless of countless times, and and you have been there. You, maybe you have gained weight. Maybe you have you feel the effect, the health effect of some of this addictive behavior, and you cultivate the intention. I don't. I don't want to. I, I don't want to do this anymore. It's not, it's not what I want to do. It's, it's harmful. So that's the refrain. But of course the challenge is then, that which you have avoided through the drinking or the eating is there. And there you are. And uh, so that's then you know, the relaxing and resting. So how to work with it, how to be with this. And I think 
I don't know if it's the only way, but I think meditation is a very good way to learn this. Because that's what you do, like like when you do a retreat or in your practice, if you have a daily practice, you you take this half an hour, and in a retreat maybe <coughs> a week or a weekend, and you sit and you work with what is coming up. And I promise you, in a retreat, all the shit comes up. No, if you know, if people think I'm going to retreat and it will be wonderful and peaceful and <laughs> oh, it's so nice, uh, it can happen. I, I mean, it can, <laughs> it, it can happen and it happens also. Yeah, it happens also, of course. Otherwise, nobody would come back. <laughs> so, but there will be the opportunity to increase your capacity and your flexibility to be with discomfort. <coughs> this is what is called patience also. <coughs> to increase your capacity and your flexibility to be with discomfort. What do you mean by working with what's coming up? How do you work with what's coming up? Just to uh, acknowledge it and sit with it or... Do you really work with it? Uh, there, there could be uh, more like active uh, things like doing some yoga or you know some walking meditation or tonglen or working with the breath or with a loving kindness meditation. So there's a lot of different ways. Uh, when I say here work, I mainly mean, uh, and that's what. I usually more teach in retreats is to uh, dissolve that discomfort by looking deeply into it, by by analyzing it. Uh, by, through the practice of what is called the vipassana, inside. So that's the main... So whatever you look at in your inner life with love and kindness, if you look at it and if you explore it, it starts to dissolve. So that would be the work then. Maybe more like what you say, being with it, embracing, embracing it. Notice or trying it. to understand it. Or no. That, no. 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 Yeah. There. That's more than. That's also helpful. It can be like part of <coughs> looking at at it from a more psychotherapeutical view, like talking about it, sharing recognizing where it comes from. So that can be a very helpful addition to dissolving some of this very strong uh, inattention. So I, 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 I like to, in my case, and that's what I try to encourage people, is to use a very integrative approach. Like, not only... Uh, increasing <coughs> your capacity to be with it and to dissolve it in meditation, but also uh, doing some body work, using some, you know, learning some movements, um, and, and and also possibly psychotherapy. Excuse me, you use the word uh, analyzing. It's a cognitive. <coughs> Um, 
here analyzing is meant as so in the vipassana practice you're not analyzing uh, the the experience through thinking about it but through looking into it not with a cognitive mind but in your direct experience so that's called analyzing looking deeply breathing into it exploring the feeling the the discomfort yeah the somatic experience Mm -hmm. other question around the refraining, the pausing, you could call it also to pause. Time out. I'm wondering if there is uh, another way of refraining that's not pausing, doing something different. Yeah. Um, But I think maybe for being able to do something different, maybe there needs to be that little pause. Like, so you have the impulse, and then there's a pause. And then, what would be doing something different? Like, lying down, you know, doing a yoga move, or uh, uh, going on, saying time out, and uh, going for a walk or something like that. Yeah. yeah, so pausing here and refraining does not mean to endure and to freeze. Yeah. That would be putting on the straitjacket. That would be harsh. Because my thought today in the refraining of staying in the in the shampoo after recognizing it is uh, if you're staying too long and then it's becoming mm-hmm. even worse yeah because you can get caught in the too much in the brain like mm-hmm. that's why I was thinking if it mm-hmm. could do something else instead after. yeah mm-hmm. yes so that would be maybe part of this so which could be also something more active like dancing or you know mm-hmm. If it's an intense energy to to try to move it, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, refraining is not suppressing. This is also an important. It's an important part of this is to see that there is a middle way between uh, acting out and suppressing, and that's what we usually feel. That's the two options I have. Either I go to the fridge and eat or I suppress it. So now we are exploring is there another another an, a more healthy way to to that to make this energy move. Yeah. Yeah I think it's important particularly if the like if there's a strong addiction like for example for smoking it's not enough just to want to stop to smoke <laughs> because because uh, 
you have to have a plan or you have to have uh, methods then to work with that or to be with that or to uh, move that which you have avoided through smoke smoking. Yeah? To stop the smoke has to change your life, really. Because otherwise, if you just stop smoking, then, I mean, you're going to explode <laughs> with, <laughs> with, uh, the, you know, with the joy or with the, mm, with the pain and with the restlessness and with the boredom. And, uh, so I think this needs to be even more us. So re relaxing, resting... Running, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a good uh, a good point you made that depending on our um, makeup, uh, our energetic makeup, uh, it it's probably is healthy for for many to make it a more active this relaxing and resting and moving. Um, yeah. The refraining in the Buddhist um, teachings, it's very much supported also through uh, connecting with a heartfelt intention. So heartfelt intention means to cultivate uh, and to connect with a, with a heartfelt intention, so something which you feel to stop to harm yourself and others and, and to cultivate this intention. So the, the refraining in the Buddhist teachings is very much supported by the practice of bodhicitta, the awakened heart, the wish to benefit others and to stop to harm yourself and others. And it's also supported by certain guidelines. You know, some, some, some guidelines of like not lying and you know, speaking truthfully and uh, being generous. Mm, so you 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 make that uh, you cultivate that heartfelt intention. Maybe you could call, could you could call it values or uh, so not as not as something when you don't follow those guidelines that you get punished, but as something which really like is is a longing in you, a wish. I just, I, I, I just want to benefit myself and others instead of harming. So that can that can give you the honesty and the courage to do this, to actually refrain. And sometimes we need to bear the burden of having hurt others and just being so shaken by it uh, that uh, we okay i'm going i'm going to i'm going i'm going to go into into this i'm not going to follow 
my conditioning. So I will work a bit uh, on this uh, uh, on, on this <coughs> level. Uh, so on Saturday, uh, are we in the big room on Saturday? No, no also yeah, yeah, the small. Okay. Because then we could do a bit of the running yeah. or something. <laughs> in May, in May, in June, okay, that's great. Yeah. So we will do that there. I will add some some more active. Uh, <laughs> no, and uh, yeah. And, and you are really like, you know, learn some, you know, movements, massage, uh, you know, different ways to, uh, to be able to do this. It's very important. You know, you can't stop here. Because then it's there, you know, that, that pain, that... So... And then uh, returning and repeating. So that's uh, that's one one aspect of that is to have the discipline or the interest or the inspiration to do this again and again and again. Yeah? This is like an a, an ongoing project of slowly, slowly undermining Shampa. Yeah? Slowly, slowly dissolving unhealthy conditioning. Healing is a good word. Healing un uh, uh, unhealthy conditioning. So it's like becoming humble in recognizing that this is a life lifelong project. Unless you have that uh, Eckhart Tolle-like, <laughs> Byron Katie-like uh, <coughs> dissolving of the the dissolving of the I thought, let's hope for that. Let's pray for that <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so thank you very much. Mm -hmm. See you maybe on Saturday or next month. <laughs>